Good to see each one of you again. Uh, without realizing it, what happened is that um, the Sunday school opening was uh, sort of the preamble to what I have to say here today. And I say that you know, it happened without my realization because I, I guess I'm starting to have the Jude complex. You know, Jude in his uh, short epistle there, as he opens it, he says, I, I wanted to write unto you about certain things, but God gave him a change of heart and he wrote about what he did in his epistle. Well, I was all prepared to come up here this morning and, uh, I mean, from earlier on, I was... I was prepared to come up to, to start a series on the Ten Commandments, and I was all prepared to teach about uh, the preamble to the Ten Commandments and the First Commandment. However, God had other things in mind, and not being one to argue with the Holy Spirit, I, I'm, I'm willing to go His direction. So, with that in mind, midweek I had a dental appointment, and when I was laid back in the dentist chair, you know, they had signs around the wall there and some of them, you know, Christian related and so forth. Well, I, one of them caught my attention <laughs> and uh, it said, everyone brings joy to the office. Some when they come and some when they leave. <laughs> so I, I am sincerely hoping that I'm bringing some joy by being here, not 20 minutes from now when I, or whenever when I exit. So anyway, that being the case, um, I had so much to say, it's taken two notebooks. Let's go to church. That's the title of it. Um, I was listening to a, a sermon that there are a number of preachers I listened to during the week on my truck radio. Uh, one of them is Alistair Begg. He's uh, a Scottish, he, he's a Scotsman who came to the U.S. by way of Canada or something. Anyway, he uh, ended up marrying an American girl and uh, he resides and preaches lives here in the U.S. now. He's with the Reformed Church. Um, I find his sermons to be quite interesting. He it's one that he, I guess he preached maybe back in the early 90s or something. And, and in the sermon, he was, he was asking the congregation, what country has the highest percentage of, per capita of people that attend church? Actually, there are two countries that are at the top of that heap. And then the others, like from third place on there, are, are a fair amount below. Do you... Any of you know what two countries that would be, the first and second place? Okay, there's China, South Korea. All right, let's uh, get to the, uh, how many say it's Europe, first, first or second place? Any hands for you? How many say North America? Okay, we got to the right continent. Now, you said United States, right, Tyler? Okay, that's, that's second place. We haven't got the first place yet. 
No, not now. We have to go across the ocean for first place. Who? Africa? Well, that's. Uh, give me a Israel. No. No. Okay. Where, where, where did where did my ancestry Donovan? Where did my ancestry come from? The, the name's a dead giveaway. Ireland. Thank you. Thank you. Ireland has the highest per capita percentage of people that attend church on a Sunday. Now this is going back to the early 90s. The U.S. is second. And uh, one of the things I think that brings about this topic today, let's go to church, is that in my driving, I, I drive past two churches in particular that, well, two that were churches four years ago no pre-pandemic stuff. Now, um, their doors have been closed to church. They, they remain, the buildings remain vacant for a while. Now both of those churches are some other business. One of them makes uh, trim work. The other one is, 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 has a home of some sort. And uh, there are a number of churches that, that I drive by that um, the buildings are not as well maintained, which leads me to believe that they are not as well attended as what they had been pre-pandemic. So what is the big deal about going to church anyway? Why? Why do we even want to do that? God seems to think it's important. It's important enough that he has commanded it. Um, now, in this building right here, I know that if you remove some of the sheetrock, remember when we came in here when, when it was just a bare exposed uh, woodworking and stuff, and we took the markers and wrote here and there and everywhere and such. I know that at least in two places you will see uh, Psalm 122.1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I saw it at this end and I saw it again back there at that end somewhere. Um, Hebrews, let's, let's take a look at that command. Open your Bibles, please, to the New Testament, uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, word picture he's painting here is the sprinkling, the, the cleansing blood, the blood sacrifice that in, in the Old Testament, you know, they, they were required to slay that bull and, and do the blood sacrifice, and, and that would be a covering for sin for the year. This, this blood of Jesus Christ, is our sin covering and, and, and uh, being washed with pure water, the cleansing act of the, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. 
So let us hold, uh, picking up then in verse 23, let us hold fast the confidence of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. This is part of the one anothering that occurs in the New Testament. And the only place that that can happen is within the context of church. Um, the little girls there in the back are welcome to come in. Would someone go back there and uh, invite them in if they would like to come? I, I would be glad for them to hear me too. Um, so one anothering happens in the context of church. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So uh, the, the, the love, the good works, it, it's all within the context of framework. If folks come in and have a seat, glad to have you. Glad, glad you could be here with us this morning. Um, this, this whole bench right here is open. I should found one back there. I'm glad you're here. What we're talking about this morning is let's go to church. And so uh, thank you for coming. The foremost reason is that when we assemble as a congregation, we are in keeping with God's command to do so. When, when the owner, that is God, who wrote the owner's manual, that is the Bible, says that it's a good thing to do, then it must be a really good thing to do. We're talking about the high, the holy, the omnipotent, the omniscient God says, go to church. If he says go to church, then go to church is a good thing for us Christians to do. Uh, and so that in mind, let's do it. Let's do it with joy in our hearts. What did our Heavenly Father have in mind by wanting us to do church? It's a place where God's word is preached and taught. And if you're not attending a church where God's word is preached and taught, then you need to find a church where God's word is preached and taught and attend there. It's a place where God's people, that is the saints, can encourage and exhort, and exhort, that is, um, we're, it is to urge earnestly by advice, by warning, by, admon by admonishing, in other words, speaking a word of correction into someone's life. So it is a place where God's people, the saints, can encourage and exhort one another. You help protect me from the perils on my blind side. Now, any uh, NFL fans in here that listen to NFL and such? Okay, what's the highest paid position on the NFL team usually? Quarterback. Quarterback. What's the second highest paid usually? Hmm? What was that, Lamona? No, no, no. You, you know, oftentimes management gets paid less than, than the workers. I found that out uh, when I go truck for Ryder. Our, our Dale was up there too. Our supervisors, sometimes it, it, it rubbed them wrong that us drivers, whom they were supervising, 
were paid considerably more than they were. Of course, we were out there mixing it up with radical traffic all day long every day. All right, second highest paid team member, NFL team member. The one who defends the quarterback. Thank you, April. Thank you. Left tackle. Left tackle. Why the left tackle? Well, remember Joe Theismann. Joe Theismann, a quarterback for the um, Skins, Redskins. No, not the Washington whatever now. He, he was a quarterback for the Redskins. And uh, this is kind of what brought, it back, brought about the position and the importance of the position of left tackle. Uh, Lawrence Thomas. Um, defensive oh, safety, the best, the best in the league at his time. Lawrence Thomas, when, when the play was set in motion, a flea flicker play was set in motion, Lawrence Thomas went around um, the offensive line and did a flying leap tackle on Joe Theismann, who did not see him coming. It ended up breaking Joe Theismann's leg. He had a femur fracture. He never played another down of football after that, which it, the highest paid person out there on the field is taken out of the game for the rest of his playing career. The left tackle position became extremely important. The left tackle protects the quarterback from his blind side. From, in other words, the quarterback, if he's right-handed, right many of them are, then he's, he's going to be looking from this perspective with the ball back here, ready to throw it. And so his blind side is going to be over here, the avenue for which Lawrence Thomas came. The left tackle is to guard, defend this area over here so that the quarterback doesn't get blindsided, doesn't get taken out from the peril that comes from the blind side. We do church because your spiritual giftedness, the way God has equipped you, has equipped each one of us differently. You help protect me from the perils coming on my blind side. Yes, I have a blind side. And then I do the same for you. Church also, it's a place where sinners can be led to the cross, to repentance, to new life in Christ. Now, church isn't the only place where that should be happening. I, I, you know, I hear people talk about being a soul winner. So how many souls have you won for Jesus Christ and that sort of thing? I have not won any souls for Jesus Christ. I am not the soul winner. The Holy Spirit is the soul winner. I can tell people about Jesus Christ, about what he can do for them, about the freedom that is found in the forgiveness of sins. But friends, unless the Holy Spirit opens the doors of that heart and that mind, all of my telling won't do any good. I, I, I point people to the cross of Jesus Christ, but it's the Holy Spirit who does the soul winning. Um, but that being said, church is a good place for people to come and should be where they can hear an evangelistic message 
and surrender their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. I, I think, like I said, that's not the only place where that It can happen at home. It can happen at work. It can happen in a, in a county park. It can happen anywhere. But church should be one of those places. One of my friends from high school, Dennis McCoy, boy from Baltimore, he was in school with me at the Christian school down there in Kentucky, told me the story of his dad's conversion. Um, his dad had been an, an alcoholic and kind of a mean man at home. And um, I guess people had been praying for him and, and the Holy Spirit had been working on him. Well, the, there was a series of meetings taking place at a, a revival series taking place at a church that the family was familiar with over in West Virginia. And uh, Mr. McCoy told his family I think he took a friend with him. I, I, I'm going to West Virginia. I, I, I've got to go. He went. He attended those evangelistic services. He surrendered his heart and life to Jesus Christ. Now, I only knew him after his conversion. And uh, God did a wonderful thing there. I mean, the, the man was on fire for, for God after that. Where did that take place? It took place at church. Church is a place where Christians can learn of their spiritual gifts and corporately exercise them. Um, my spiritual gift it depends on what book you read. You know, the, the um, perceiver, prophet, the different terms are used, whatever. That's our primary spiritual gift. Uh, if it wouldn't be for church, where would I use it? How would I use it? The, that is the, from what I can gather from my New Testament studies, yes, prophets do use their gifts elsewhere, but the primary place is within the context of the gathered church. It's a place where we can corporately exercise our spiritual gifts. I, for instance, I did not know that I was a teacher until we, you remember that spiritual gift session that we had with Gary Troyer maybe, what, 15 years ago or so? He's, Gary's since passed away, gone to be with the Lord. But um, it was that session that we had with Gary Troyer. And I didn't know I was a teacher until he told me. When, you know, he, we, we went through the studies and we filled out charts, you know, you have X amount of this and X amount of that and so forth. And, uh, and I, I was kind of bewildered by the whole thing. I, yes, I knew that I was a perceiver, and, and my, one evening after the session, I spoke with Gary. I said, Gary, how do I use my spiritual gifting in the body of Christ? How, how does I, I'm not a preacher, you know, so I'm, I'm not up front doing this all the time. How do I use my spiritual gift for the body of Christ? And he said, let me see your chart. So this would have been like toward the end of the week and, and our charts were mostly filled out. And he said, hmm, see, you have, you have so much of this and you have so much of that and, and you have this over here and uh, then if you add some nutmeg and cinnamon and then a little bit of parsley, so you shake it all together, you're a teacher. 
It's not that I have the gift of teaching that it's not my primary gifting. But when you mix all and blend all these things together and shake them up a little bit, then it comes together. And not only did he tell me that I was a teacher, then when he was speaking to the congregation, he, pointed, he said, you know, I was talking with Dave the other night, and if he were in my congregation, I would paint a great big red T on his forehead, and he would be a teacher. And, oh, I about felt like crawling under the carpet. So, so church is a place where we can come to know, realize, and exercise our spiritual gifts. Um, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This has a whole lot to do with doing church. Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, let me find verse 11 here. And he himself gave, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I was saying I was going to go, how many verses, 14 through 16 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but by speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, that is us gathered together, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of the saints in love. Now he's saying an awful lot in these right in these three things right here. We, we have the spiritual gifts, we use them, we, we, we come to know what they are, we employ them. In the body, okay, the context that it's talking about here is that of the entire bar body with all the joints, with all the individual parts working together, each individual exercising his spiritual gift in harmony with the rest of the body. All right, now what good is a spiritual part if it is not exercising itself, if it wants to do what it's gifted to do, but is not doing it in harmony with the rest of the body. Okay, my heart is beating. It is beating in harmony with, with the brain giving it that, that signal to do so. My, my lungs are breathing in harmony with the heart beating and, and, and the brain working. And the, they're working in harmony together, each one doing its individual thing. My brain cannot breathe for me, cannot take in the oxygen that I need to sustain life. My lungs cannot beat and pulse and course the blood through my body to carry that life-giving oxygen to all the rest of the parts. No, but each one is doing its individual thing 
in harmony with all the other parts. We do that in the context of the gathered body, the church. That is a part of the reason why we do church. Now, another part of what's spoken here, it is a place and occasion where we can come together and hear the truth spoken in love. And the, the truth, absolutely essential. We talked about that a little bit ago, how the truth is one of the essential character qualities of God. It's part of who God is. When we speak truth, it needs to be spoken in love. Truth can be spoken, it can be spoken very harshly. It can be spoken from a mean spirit. Uh, usually we find that in, in the context of gossip. You know, gossip oftentimes is someone telling the truth to someone else, but it's telling the truth that they don't need to hear, they don't need to know about. So when we come together in the body of Christ, it's the place where we can come together where the truth is spoken in love. Not everything that is true needs to be spoken, but what is spoken needs to be true. Okay, there are times when someone may tell you something in confidence that it's just between you and them. You know, like uh, doctors have their patient-client confidence. Um, those in the psychiatric world have their patient-client confidence. Same thing in the legal world when you speak to your lawyer. You know, you, you make out a will. You don't necessarily want, want to post it up on a bulletin board. This is my will. This is who gets what when I die and so forth. No, it's, it's confidential. It's something that, that that testament takes place after you die. It, it is enforced and put into place. Okay, so there are things that are spoken that need to remain in confidence. Don't go blabbing it about. When you blab truth that doesn't need to be blabbed, that's gossip. Exercise your spiritual gifts within a framework of truth and love. Um, the body joined and knit together, what we just read here in this passage, by what every joint supplies, that is, by what every joint supplies is a person used in the measure of the gift that is given to him. Uh, in other words, I admire Billy Graham. I cannot preach like Billy Graham. Um, I, I admire the, the, the apologetics of of numerous people. Lee Strobel, for one, can't even come close to that. Ravi Zacharias, uh, yeah, he was a wonderful Christian in the world of Christian apologetics. I can't touch it. But we, God didn't ask me to uh, preach like Peter, pray like Paul, whatever the song says there. He has asked me to use the spiritual gifts that he has given me according to the measure that he has given me to use them. That's what I am responsible for. I am not responsible to come up here and preach like um, whatever the best known evangelist is that you know. I, I can't do it. But I can use the spiritual gift that God has given me, hopefully for the edifying of the, for the building up of the body of Christ to the degree that he has gifted me in that area. 
goes for you, for each one of you out here. Each one of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has gifted you in a special way. And he has not gifted you to, to sort of dam that up and, 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 and hold it in a retention pond and keep it all to yourself. What happens to retention ponds? They stagnate. You can't drink that water. It's no good. Now, you might have a great big reservoir that a river flows into at one end, and then it cascades over a waterfall over at the other end, but the water's continually flowing through it, even though it is a great big reservoir, and it's fresh, life-giving water. So the spiritual gift that you have, don't dam it up and store it up in a tight little compartment and hold it all to yourself. Use it to build up the body of Christ. That's why God has gifted you. Um, okay, then the body is, joint, is, is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. That's the person using the measure of the gift supplied to him according to the effective working. That is effective working. Working in harmony with the other members. In other words, my heart's not beating against uh, the way my lungs are breathing. My brain's not telling, hey, stop your beating, you know, you're doing this too much. Hey, just get out of my way and let me do my brain. No, they, they all work in harmony together. So uh, the effective working is working in harmony with other members by which every part does its share. That is every part pulling its weight and doing its assigned mission by which every part does its share, pulling its weight, doing its assigned mission. And it, it does that, which causes the growth of the body. And now this is, see, we're round about what, verse, from whom, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined and knit together, by which every joint supplies, according to the effective working, by which every part does its share, that all that causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, for the, for the edifying of itself in love, for the building up of itself within the context and framework of love. So this all comes about by, by speaking down the truth, by hearing the word of God preached and taught, by us joining together in the body of Christ, exercising our spiritual gifts, and the, the, the effect of all that happening is that it builds us up. Whereas if you do the opposite of that, it, you know, Satan and his, all his stuff and his works, it's about tearing down, destroying. When you do church God's way, according to God's plan and God's principles, it produces the building up, the building up of the individual and the building up of the corporate body. Well, we've just talked about the Ephesian church. That is a, a way to do church. Um, I, I, I didn't realize this either that um, two weeks ago when I spoke to you up front here from the Sunday school opening I spoke about the Laodicean church that that also would be a pretext to 
to the way we're going to finish today. The Laodicean church, if you would please uh, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, and it's, uh, see, we're going to look at 3, 14 through 21. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Let me get there. Wow, it's entitled The Lukewarm Church. Not a way you want to do church. Beginning at verse 14, Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. Okay, we've just, just been talking about that. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold, that you're neither cold nor hot in this version. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am, I am, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So this, this promise here, well, actually, the picture given there at the end, you've probably seen pictures. I, I've seen one uh, with the... Uh, Oh, what, what's that world body called? It's not worth their weight in salt. Up here in New York City, the big tall building, um, United Nations. I, I've seen a picture of the United Nations building with Jesus standing on the outside, knocking, hoping, praying, wanting to come in. Well, that, 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 that's well and good. And, and this passage has, has been used in many evangelistic services. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door and lets me in. Okay, and, and that's good. It can be used that way, but that's not the context. The context is that of Jesus Christ. Well, it's... The, the context is a church assembled for worship and Christ standing at the door knocking wanting to come in. To anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, eat with him, and he with me. Jesus Christ is addressing a church that is gathered for worship. So what happens when the Lord comes in in this way? We open the door and let him in. We are caught up into his presence and we praise him. We become conscious of his glory as his word is ministered to us. We begin to understand that he is the preacher of the word and the leader of our praises. 
He is the bishop and shepherd of our souls. He came and suffered in our flesh and blood, was tempted just as we are. He overcame. He understands our weakness and can bring all, because he understands our weaknesses, we can bring all of our troubles to him. Now, the, and, and this so beautifully takes place within the context of the gathered church. Some, you know, sometimes the business of bringing our troubles to Jesus Christ, sometimes is pulling someone aside and, and just pouring our heart out to them and they listening to us and, and hearing us in, in a spirit of love. Sometimes that's what it is. We can bring all of our troubles to him. He is able, Hebrews uh, 7.25, he is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to Christ by him, all those who, who come to God by him, that is through Jesus Christ. He's able to save them to the uttermost, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Um, now, some of you may be thinking, okay, but you know, what good is church really going to do me? I have been so mistreated. I have been so misunderstood. I have been so abused. I, the, the world is against me. What good is church really going to do for me? Well, we, we find out in the context of the gathered body when we do church. Um, perhaps you're thinking, you know, you've been that misunderstood. Uh, you have a unique set of problems. Guess what? Jesus has been there. He has been misunderstood. On one occasion, his mother, his brothers, and his sisters came to get him because they thought that he had gone mad in what he was teaching and saying and all this business that uh, he would say, I am, and, and, and using these references referring to himself as God. They thought that he had gone mad. Was he misunderstood? Yes, he was misunderstood. And not only by his mother and his sisters and brothers, also by, by the religious crowd, the, the very ones who sh had God's word in their house of worship and should have understood him, did not. Many suffered the trauma of abuse. What about that? Was Jesus abused? He became a sacrifice for our sins. He was physically abused. He was beaten to a bloody pulp. Unrecognizable. He was abandoned by his closest friends. He was mocked. He was scourged. He was hung naked on a cross. Because he is God, perfect in obedience to the Father, pure, holy, and righteous, the ignominity of the whole thing being hung naked on a cross was immensely intensified. Jesus understands what we are going through. He has been there. And when we need to dump our problems on some church the gathered body is a wonderful place to do it. Not that you have to tell the whole congregation everything, but you pull well, a brother or sister in Christ aside and, and lean on them. They can pray with you. They can hear you. They can listen to you. We find the embodiment of this understanding being an active part of church, the body of Christ. 
That's how we do church. That's why we do church. Friends, if, if you have not been active in church or been an active part of a church, Become one. Don't let the devil cheat you out of that blessing. That is what he is trying to do by holding you away from church. That, uh, boy, that whole COVID episode, it, it, it annoys me to think about it. Um, now, at, at first I thought, well, you know, maybe there is something to this. Maybe we shouldn't assemble for a little, you know, don't want to spread disease around and kill people and all that. The more research I did, the more troubled I was by it. When I could go to Lowe's, I could go to Home Depot, I could go to another, I could go to a number of shopping places uh, without hindrance, go in there, shop to my heart's content, no restrictions. The bars, people were allowed to go to the bar rooms. But church, oh no, no. No, COVID forbid we, we assemble at the church house. And when I saw all that kind of mess going on, I thought, you know what, this is no good. And, and I so much appreciate the example that Dale and Donna and the extended family showed us by being among the earliest ones to come back here and assemble as the body of Christ. Don't let Satan cheat you out of that blessing be an active member of the body of Christ. Um, Jerome Savonarola. Savonarola was, he was a contemporary of Christopher Columbus, you know, that, that time frame. Uh, he had been a priest. He um, got caught up in the message of the Reformation and, and, and what true Christianity was all about. And he began to speak out against the abuses of, of, of the priesthood and the hierarchy of the church and so forth. And um, he, was, he was eventually martyred for his faith in Christ. Shortly before that, shortly before his martyrdom, he said, he who believes that Christ rules above need never fear what happens below. So friends, I, I want to thank you for hearing me. I cannot stress to you enough the importance of doing church God's way. You edify me. You help build me up. Hopefully I'm doing the same to you. Sorry for going so long. This sermon took up two notebooks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your will be done in us and through us. May this church be built up and knit and joined and framed together in the, under the headship of Jesus Christ. May we do church your way, and we ask that you bring a blessing on us for it. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this wonderful opportunity to, to meet together as a body of Christ. We ask your blessing on it. We ask your blessing on each of us. Speak to us. Speak through us. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only Savior of mankind. Amen.